Uh, I want you to take that Bible that you have and start trying to find the small book called Philemon. It's real little, and you can blaze right past it. Um, it's in the New Testament in between what I call the T-books and Hebrews. So First and Second Thessalonians, and then First and Second Timothy and Titus. And you'll find Philemon, it's just probably on one page in your Bible right before Hebrews. It's where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks, so you may want to just throw one of those bookmarks in there or something, but letter to Philemon. This morning, I want to talk about compliments. Start here. Compliments. I don't know anybody who doesn't like a compliment. Uh, not, not like flattery or excessive kind of praise, but just a genuine compliment. I think that compliments are something that everybody likes. Uh, you did a good job and somebody took the time to let you know. Your words or your actions, they, they blessed someone, they encouraged someone, they were thankful for what they saw you do or they heard you say, and they complimented you, they encouraged you, they gave you just a, a, a little bit of praise. Hard to be mad at a compliment. Maybe, maybe you've gotten a compliment recently or you know, maybe even you've overheard somebody kind of singing the praises of someone else. They were sharing with you about what someone did, maybe what they saw them do, or, or even something that they heard them say. And that compliment just kind of made you stop and think, well, man, I wonder what that person says about me. I wonder what that person, you know, thinks about me. That kind of gets us to our question this morning of what should we want people to say about us? What, you know, what is it that we would want to be described like? Or what sort of compliments should we be pursuing or desiring? Would we want to be complimented on being, you know, nice or funny? Sure. Would we want to be complimented on being talented or, you know, athletic? Would we want to be, I don't know, given a compliment about our, you know, our, our brain power or good looking? I don't know. What Valentine's Day is right around the corner. How do you want to be complimented? Are those the things that a junior hire should desire? Uh, nothing inherently wrong with those, of course. God makes us all very different, and most of us have been described in, I'm sure, a lot of those categories. But is that the list? Are those the things that we should be pursuing? Is that how I would want my life to be described? I think at the heart of that question is, is really an important issue. And it's, you know, it's this it makes us think about what truly matters. What is it that's worth attaining? How should a junior hire want to be described? What should an eighth grader or a seventh grader be striving for? And then, you know, who gets to decide is another question. If we were to let 
you know, high schoolers decide. We'd have hundreds and hundreds of differing opinions on the things that were valuable or the things that we should be chasing or, or what's cool or however you want to describe it. And by the way, that's kind of precisely what we see in our world. But, but is there something more? Is there something more important? You know, God's word tells us that people chase all the wrong things, especially without God in their life. Left to their own devices, people are pursuing and and going after a lot of the things that we've already talked about. Those are the kind of compliments that they really want. But that's kind of it. People are consumed with the world and the sinful desires they have in their heart. And you might be, you might be battling that, this, you know, here this morning. You might feel content with those compliments that only mention the physical, how smart you are, how athletic you are, how attractive you are. But God's word would tell you you're missing something. It, it, would, it would tell you that you've got it all wrong. The best compliments you could receive, the sort of compliments that all of us should really want have to do with our relationship with Christ. We should want people to be encouraged and thankful for our lives, not because of the physical stuff, but because of what Christ has done in our lives. In other words, you should want someone to say about you, you know, I really appreciate the way that you not only talk about Jesus, but the way that you try to live for him as well. That would be a great compliment. A compliment like that is one that's worth striving for. I'm thankful for your godly example. Not that you're perfect, but how your attitude or your words or your actions reflect Christ. Thankful for that. That's, again, just a good compliment worth striving for compliments about your faith compliments about your love for others those are the compliments that god says we should want and we're going to see that this morning in our text here in philemon this is the way philemon's going to be described and that's going to be our big idea for us christians should want to be described or known for their faith known for their love. You guys, if you're talented, man, I'm happy for you. If you get compliments, I don't know, on your hair or something, congratulations, that's great. People comment on your humor, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a gift, Probably needs some self-control, but we'll talk about that another Sunday. I just want you to know that those compliments are, are great, but without Christ, those are the only kind of compliments that you're ever going to get. Without Christ, that's all that you're going to be, to be known for. That's all that you're going to live for, and that's a life that's going to be focused on you. That's why this matters. If, if I'm only striving for that stuff, my life is only going to center on me, and that's a life that's going to 
be filled with trouble. That's a life that, that's going to be empty and it's going to be void of hope. And I mean, worst of all, that's a life that ends in judgment before God. It's not a, a life that any of us should want, but with Christ, everything changes. Everything changes, including the things that you should want to be known for. You can still be those other things, but ultimately you want to be known by your faith in Christ and your love on display for other people. Again, those are the compliments that we should be striving for. That's how I want somebody to think of me. Again, we're just going to get a little glimpse of that this morning as we read about Philemon, and we'll focus on the first seven verses this morning. So hopefully you found it, Philemon, and we'll start here in verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. If you missed last week, we did a little bit of an introductory sermon on this letter, a letter that was written hand-in-hand with the book we studied right before this, the letter to the Colossians. Those were written at the same time by Paul. Philemon is just a member in this little church that meets in his house, but they're called the, the church in Colossians, the church in Colossae. And in that letter to the Colossians, both faith and love were two topics that appeared, um, especially in the introduction. If you went back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 4, you'd find those both there. This is something that's on Paul's mind, something that he wants to talk about. And now here in this little personal letter to Philemon, these two show up again. Philemon is complimented complimented on his faith and on his love. And I want you to know that these two, faith and love, are going to be the, the central concerns of this letter. Philemon's past expressions of faith and love, how he's demonstrated that, how he's currently doing that. Paul's trying to highlight that for him because that's what he needs to keep doing. Who he is and how the gospel has totally changed Philemon is going to allow him to hear Paul's request and to respond rightly, reminding him of what Christ has done and how he's lived. That's what Philemon needs to just kind of think about to really embrace what God's going to ask him to do next. So this letter is about 
Philemon continuing to live his life focused on faith and focused on love. And that's just already a good reminder for Christians of every age. This is how we're called to live. Again, these are the kind of compliments that we should want to strive for as well. So Philemon needs to continue to want to live out his faith for Christ. And he's going to have this opportunity to do that by loving Onesimus. And you may wonder, you know, so what? Who who cares about this and these guys? And I would just say, if you're only living for yourself, you're right. If you reject Christ and want nothing to do with him or his word, this letter is not going to mean much to you. It's not going to really want to learn from it or, or see what's here. But for those who are in Christ, boy, there is a great reminder, even in this introduction of, of that which truly matters, a, a great lesson for young Christians an example for us to follow, especially as we think about what Christians should want to be known for. I want to chop it up into two parts, not complicated this morning, but verses 1 to 3, we're going to call this gospel greeting. Gospel greeting. Verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Everything about this beginning is really familiar. It begins almost identically to the way Colossians began. You know, and why should it be any different? It's written by the same man, and it's, you know, although it's focused on one individual, it's written to the same group of people. But there is just one teeny tiny noticeable difference. Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ. Don't forget I'm in prison. Why do this? Why why is he trying to draw attention to the fact that he's in prison? If, If we read this whole letter, and maybe you forgot, but Paul is a going to shortly ask Philemon to welcome Onesimus back in as a brother in Christ. These two who are in conflict, we said last week, Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon is the slave owner and Onesimus is the slave. And their relationship is under stress. There's there's an issue here that these two need to work out. Paul's going to ask Philemon for something pretty big. So why the prisoner comment? Some think it's to make Philemon sort of feel sorry for him, like, you know, like a dying wish or something. Like, you know, hey, man, I'm in prison over here. Would you just please do this thing for me? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's like an end of discussion sort of comment. Like, you know, do what I say, please. I'm the one who's really suffering. I'm the one who's in jail. I just need you to listen and do this. You have the gospel because of me. I'm locked up. You're free. Just do it. Like, I don't know, when your parents say that, you know, I I said so. It's kind of like that, maybe. Some, Some think that's it. But it's interesting, in this really short letter, Paul will mention being in prison three more times. In verse 10, and verse 13, and verse 23... Why this focus on imprisonment? 
And I believe that Paul keeps mentioning this because he wants Philemon to follow his example. He mentions his being in prison to remind Philemon of how great the gospel really is, of how living for Christ is so worth it, no matter where Christ leads you. Don't get caught up in this world. Don't get too focused on what's happening here, the the comforts, the freedoms. Be willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel. Obey the Lord. Embrace what he has for you because of what he's done for you. And that means prison for some like Paul. That means trials for others, difficulties. That means following Christ and submitting to God's will means we want to fulfill God's plan for our life, no matter where that leads, no matter what it costs. The gospel greeting here, it should remind us of the joy that it was for Paul to be in prison for Christ. And I know that sounds weird to our ears, doesn't it? Joy to be in prison? Another letter that he wrote while he was in prison was addressed to a different church in Philippi. And there he calls for those believers to rejoice, to be so full of joy in the Lord, just like he was. He says it over and over again. And you may wonder why, how could Paul have such joy? He's in jail. And the answer is because of the the, the one whom Paul calls himself a prisoner. Here in Philemon, Paul says, I'm a prisoner, not of Rome, but of Jesus. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He's there, and it's a joy for him to be there, because he knows he's doing precisely what the Lord had had for him to do. He's there for preaching the gospel, for telling others the, the truth about God. For telling them how, you know, holy God is. For telling them the truth about man's sinfulness. And then their need for, for, for salvation. The, their need for something to be done about their sin. Paul's in prison for that. He's there for, for telling others that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That Jesus laid down his life to pay for that sin. That Jesus allowed himself to be crucified to to settle our, our debt before God. That Jesus was the rightful king of creation and that he would return to establish his kingdom. Paul's in prison for preaching that and for preaching that it's, it's putting our trust and belief in Jesus. This one who laid down his life. This one who will return as king. Whoever believes in this Christ can and will be saved. It's that message that saved Paul. It's it's that message that Jesus had instructed Paul to preach. It's that message that has Paul in prison. And no one in Paul's world wants this message. None of them want to hear it. The, The Jews don't want to hear that message proclaimed as it 
offends them. It's so difficult for them to grasp that God would allow himself to be crucified. They can't fathom a a Messiah like that. That wasn't their kind of savior. They want God to issue in his kingdom now. They wanted their Messiah to come and defeat their enemies now. They wanted God's kingdom to start right now. This wasn't what they wanted. They didn't want a, a savior to die on a cross for sin. That wasn't part of their plan. So they can't process this kind of Messiah. They don't want this message. And there's more. The the Gentiles or the Romans don't want this message either. It's foolishness to them. But more than that, it's competing with their, their king, their Caesar. Jesus' claim to be king of the Jews was too threatening for them. Offends them. So Paul isn't, he just isn't safe anywhere. And that's all wrapped up in Paul saying, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. I'm I'm in prison for preaching this gospel. I'm in prison for belonging to him, for believing in him. And Paul knows how much the gospel has done for him. He knows that he was an enemy of God, but now he's a friend. Paul knows that. He, He knows he was separated from God by sin, but now he's a son through his savior. Paul knows that and preaches that. Paul has such joy in that. He was obsessed with eliminating the name of Jesus. Now he's obsessed with proclaiming the truth of how much you need him. Paul's in prison because he'd rather be obedient to Jesus' command for his life and to ignore it for the sake of freedom or comfort or popularity or ease. He would much rather be obedient, even though it cost him his life. Paul's all in. That's what that means. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm all in. The gospels changed him. It made him a new creation. It set him free from sin. And he's convinced that this gospel must be shared and that this truth is worth his life. So it's a joy for him to be there, to serve his savior and his king. It's a joy for him to be obedient. No matter the price, he willingly lives as this prisoner of Christ so that others can be set free. And as we scan the text, who's mentioned with Paul, Timothy is there. He's a brother. So is Philemon. These are two men whose lives have been Totally transformed by the gospel. The same is true for Aphia. She's a sister in Christ. And Archippus, this fellow soldier in Christ. Talked about it last week. Very likely this is just Philemon's family. Aphia's his wife and Archippus is his son. But that's not how Paul chooses to describe them. That's not what's important about them. It's not about their human relationships. The most significant thing is is who they are in Christ. That's what gets the ink here. It's their relationship to God that matters. And it's, it's how they live faithfully for Christ that captures Paul's attention. 
Those are the compliments that he gives, that they're faithful, that they're brothers or sisters, that they're soldiers, that they're a part of this incredible family. It's their faith on display that that sort of fills Paul's compliments for them. And then verse 3 rounds out Paul's favorite greeting. We hear it in almost all of his letters. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a reminder of grace, a reminder of peace, grace that saved them, grace that sustains them, grace that's at work in their life to grow their faith, grace that's causing them to live for Christ. It's grace that Paul loves to begin with. Makes me think of Ephesians 2. Every time I see that word grace, I'm just thinking of the grace that, that saves. It's grace that's at work in their lives at this very moment. And grace isn't alone. It's joined by peace. No greeting would be complete without that. The, the peace that believers have with God. These are two hugely foundational truths This is is just who Christians are. They've experienced grace and they've experienced God's peace. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, it remains on him. It's peace that believers have. Peace from knowing that God's wrath that was on me is now satisfied because of what Christ has done. It's peace that we have as we trust God. It's peace that fills our life as we depend on God, as we look to him and his purposes, as we trust what he's doing, despite us trying to fight for control. It's this peace that we pray for. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried about anything. Instead, pray, and Paul writes there, let that peace from God that surpasses all your understanding, let it guard your heart, let it guard your mind. This is the kind of peace that Christians need, and this is the kind of peace that Christians can have. When I look in a world that's in a blender or whatever, it looks like crazy chaos out there, I can have peace knowing that God is in control, knowing that his purposes are what are what's happening right now. And his peace can guard my anxious heart. It can calm my worry and my fear. That's the kind of peace that only Christians can have. A gospel greeting. Paul greets Philemon and his house and this church. That little greeting is one that believers are comforted by. We read it fast, but we shouldn't. When we read it, we should say, Amen. We should be thankful for it. We should be comforted by that reminder of God's grace and and peace in our life. Christians have come to this very church here this morning to worship and praise God and thank him for that same grace and peace that Paul talks about here. This grace and peace is... It's one that unbelievers should desire. It's grace and peace that's available now. 
It's grace and peace that can be yours, but only through the gospel. Can't buy it, can't earn it, young people. Only available through Christ and what he's done. A familiar gospel greeting, but one again that just reminds us of how incredible it is to be in Christ. From this greeting, we move to our second point, verses 4 to 7, and we'll just call it gospel displayed. This is about Philemon and his life, how he's displaying the gospel. It's here that Paul begins to focus on Philemon. He lets him know that he's thankful for him, and most frequently that happens when he prays for him. That's what he says in verse 4. And what is he thankful for? Well, the answer is in verse 5. I'm hearing of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Philemon is known for this. He's known for his faith. He's known for his love. His faith in Christ is what leads him to love other believers like this. Very possible that even Onesimus is the one who brought this report to Paul. I don't know how Paul hears about this. It's my best guess which is just interesting if you think about it. These two in conflict, even Onesimus can't deny how pretty great Philemon is. He has faith. He loves Jesus. My, my master does, and he has love for other believers. Even though they're not exactly seeing eye to eye, he can't get past that. He can't deny this truth. It's on display. It's a visible faith, a visible love. This is what Philemon's known for. It's the greatest compliment he could get. Paul prays in verse 6 that Philemon's partnership in this gospel ministry would be effective, that his partnership in telling others about Christ, like Paul does, and Paul prays that it would be even more effective. How is that supposed to be accomplished? Well, verse 6 reads, Through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. Paul is praying for Philemon to have a better understanding of how God is at work in his life. That's the prayer. This is what I want you to grow in. Paul wants Philemon to have this better grasp on God's will so that he can be faithful to live how he's supposed to live. And that too reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2. There in verse 8, it says, By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Verse 9 of Ephesians 2, It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by God's grace, but Paul makes it so clear for us that we're saved to embrace God's will for our life. Not just saved to be saved, but saved then to be a part of God's will, God's plan for our life. I love that word that Paul uses in Ephesians 2. We're saved to be his workmanship. We're saved to be this, it's a... a, artistic word it's it's meant to be beautiful like you're you're saved you were this dead thing and now you're this beautifully crafted masterpiece of god to do this work these things that he's 
called you to do. That just means that God has a personal personal plan for each and every one of us. Those who will embrace his gospel, God has a perfect plan for you. And let me say it's, it's perfect because of the one who, whose plan it is. It's his plan. But perfect, it doesn't mean free from trouble. As we think about even Philemon and Onesimus here, this isn't something they would have chosen. It's so good for us to think about. Philemon wouldn't have wanted his slave to run away. He wouldn't put himself in this position ever. But as we think about the big context, and we're going to see more of this next week, these events have led Onesimus to the gospel and to salvation. It's incredible. And even the way that Philemon has been living, that's part of it too. This this slave is now a brother in Christ because of what happened and because of how Philemon was living. That's God's plan. That's God's will. Even though that, that brought a lot of stress on those two. If you and I as Christians are really going to live for Christ effectively, we need to embrace this prayer of Paul's here. We, we need to grasp the importance for our lives too that we would understand, and just to use Paul's words, that the good inside of us is only that which just Christ brings out. That we would have a fuller knowledge of God's will in our lives. And even though something isn't what we want, it isn't something we would choose. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's it's maddening even. I don't, I don't know whatever those trials are, whatever those things that God is weaving in and out of your life. But if you're a Christian, you can have peace knowing this is just God's will for me. This difficult situation or this awesome situation, praise God, this is what God has in store for me today. I need a fuller knowledge like that. I need to operate this way that We can be joyful for where God has us. We need to grasp God's plan for our lives that we would be an effective gospel witness for Christ. That's where Paul's headed with this. That's the whole point. Despite the cost, no matter how unpopular you might become or how those circumstances around us might change, we should be glad to be a servant of our Savior. We should be so joyful to share our testimony and the gospel with anyone and everyone whom God might bring across our path. We want our faith to be on display like this, like Philemon's, that that our love for Christ would be visible by the way we treat other people. Why would we want that? Again, so that our partnership in gospel ministry would be effective, like Paul prays for here, that more people will come to saving faith, that by our lives people would receive God's grace, that more people would know his peace, that more souls might be added into his kingdom. And when that's the case, when that's true of us, we will receive compliments like this one. Verse 7, I've derived so much joy from your love, so much comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints are refreshed through you. Paul is encouraged, he's joyful, he's comforted. 
It impacted him so much that he just he has to take the time to tell him. The way you love the believers there, it's such a joy for me. And I want you to know how refreshed they are because of you. Philemon's love didn't just impact Paul. It impacted that whole church, everybody around him. And it's Philemon's love that's going to be the focus of the rest of this letter. But his love has already had quite the impact. And it's love that leads Paul to call Philemon not just brother, but my brother. It's personal. What a family they make and all who are in the family of God. And it's, it's this relationship that Paul needs Philemon to just be thinking about the most. We're in the same family. Because what I'm about to ask you to do, it's... It's a little bit crazy, but because of who we are in Christ, it's not. This forgiveness, this restoration, all that is just going to be possible by the gospel. It's the gospel, it's, it's belonging to God's family that allows unity to exist when it's otherwise impossible. And even in junior high, you need a a, a message like this. It's the gospel that allows forgiveness to happen when otherwise it just can't exist. Belonging to Christ, and only through Christ can we ever know this kind of love. If you're struggling with unity or forgiveness or with loving others, Others, you're going to see it here. The gospel is the answer. Well, Paul's given Philemon quite the compliment here, and he compliments his faith and his love, and along the way, he set the tone for what really matters. Gospel, it trumps all other facets of our life. There's nothing more important about us than belonging to Christ. I'm going to say that over the next couple of weeks again and again, because it's so important that we get it. Nothing else more important than whether or not we belong to Christ. Nothing more impactful or crucial than that. So it really shouldn't surprise us that faith and love are the characteristics of our life that matter the most to God. If you're a Christian and if you're following him, then those are the kind of things that you're going to want to be known for, your faith and, and your love. Those are the things you're going to want people to notice and see. It's going to encourage other believers. And not only that, it's that faith and love that are going to point unbelievers to what they need the most, which is Christ. Your athleticism and your looks and your humor, they just can't do that can't point others to Christ. They're not going to be this kind of encouragement to other believers in your church. We want to be known for this. We want to be known for our faith. We want to be known for our love. Those are the kind of compliments that we should strive for. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, I'm grateful for this text that even in its greeting teaches us so much Lord, truly your word is so valuable. Lord, nothing more precious to us, no amount of money or 
Anything else in this world could even begin to compare to how helpful your truth is. Pray for these young students, Lord, that are running from you, that are rejecting your gospel. Lord, I pray even a message like this might be useful to them and to their heart to see their need for you. And Lord, these young souls whom you've saved, I pray that you would help them to even now in their life begin to strive to want to be known for their faith in you and the way that they love others because of you. Lord, what a joy it is to be here this morning. I pray that as we sing one last song and even think about heading to second hour, Lord, that you would just keep us in this posture of worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.